0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The term Asian American Pacific Islander, or AAPI, represents about 75 different countries across East, Southeast, and South Asia and the Pacific Islands. But here's the thing. Some government surveys group AAPI communities as all one race. And this can create problems when it comes to knowing what people of different ethnic groups in the U.S. need, specifically around healthcare. Maybe one group is more susceptible to side effects of a medication than others. Or maybe one community is more vulnerable to heart disease. We're going to dig into why treating AAPI communities as a monolith can actually have major health consequences. This is part of conversations that we have been having all week about how things are changing for AAPI communities when it comes to education, representation, and health. So today, to learn more, we're joined by a panel of experts. Hei-In Chung is a director of uh, direct services at CanWin, an agency that helps survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Welcome.
1: Welcome. Thank you so much for having me here.
0: Brandon Liu is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the Chicago area. Hey, Brandon. Hey, thanks for having me. And Shobana Verma is the executive director of the South Asian American Policy and Research Institute. Great to have you back, Shobana.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm going to start with you. Uh, Why is health data, why is it usually collected like what I just described, right? All in one group. Help us wrap our minds around what is getting grouped together specifically.
2: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so just to give ourselves a sense of who we are and what we look like nationally, um, according to a Pew Research Center report, our country's Asian American population went from 11.9 million in 2000 to 23.2 million in 2019. And we currently make up about 7% of the U.S. population. So for a population that large and for categorizing us as one monolithic group, like Asians or Mm -hmm. Asian-Americans, we need disaggregated data. And this data is important to understand and address the needs of more than 50 ethnic subgroups, actually, that fall under the Asian-American and Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander category. And in 2020, uh, the National Institutes of Health reported that uh, one in five adults suffered from mental health illness in the U.S., but now, given that the South Asian American community is one of the fastest-growing racial and ethnic subgroups amongst Asian Americans, not just in Illinois but across the country, and um, yet we know very little about our needs, yeah. so disaggregated data in that case is, on top of so many other reasons and you know areas that you discussed, uh, is critical because we need to know about the diverse needs of individuals um, or individual racial and ethnic subgroups. That are emotional and are psychological and Social well-being, especially given how recent um, COVID crisis has caused a spike in mental health issues, yeah. uh, a direct result of increased uncertainty, financial pressures, and social isolation. So we need to know how our communities are feeling and coping with stress.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll dig into some of what you just described later in in the program, Chovna. But I do want to mention a couple other specific examples that I have here too about you know what gets missed when uh, the data is is aggregated in this way. Um, So a 2021 study from New York University's Center for the uh, Study of Asian American Health, it found Filipino, Indian and Korean adults, they've got a high prevalence of diabetes. Um, Chinese and Korean people have a higher prevalence of smoking. Um, And Pacific Islander people have higher rates of obesity. So again, where, you know, lumping everyone into one group, that doesn't always work, right? And so uh, what steps do you think can be taken to separate the data, shobhna
2: uh, that's a that's a very important point you just made, and you know, just speaking of uh, you know, as a representative of the South Asian American community here, uh, we do realize that, and we do have a health equity project. We have you know so many other issues that we're trying to address. You know, our participation in civic engagement, you know, uh, in the electoral process, uh, also uh, trying to address anti-Asian hate. It doesn't serve us right by clubbing us all together under yeah. the Asian umbrella, and uh, at least at Sapri, I can you know on based on our experience, I can share, um, we do have an active community health and access survey where we are collecting information from community members about lifestyle and environmental factors, uh, which may inform their health outcomes and experiences. So when you mention health inequities and how limited we know uh, about the different ethnic groups, we also need to realize that as just as South Asians alone, you just mentioned some some statistics, we are uh, 25% of the world population, world's population, and we contribute to almost 50% of the heart health yeah. issues, right? And
0: it's like, you know that, but does the federal mm-hmm. government know that? No, Probably not. that's
2: where I think a lot of burden lies on organizations like ours, where we feel the burden. And what we did in 2022 is we also partnered with five other Chicago area service providers um, for change in sight initiative, if you've heard about it. That was led by the Chinese American Service League and our partners being Nagar Indo-American Center. A fire in Hanul Center. And what we did together uh, as six organizations is we collected um, social determinants of health data from over 2,000 Chicago area Asian American individuals representing 16 different communities that these organizations collectively serve. So the top five communities that uh, made up almost 91% of the entire sample included Chinese, Asian Indian, Korean, Filipino, and Pakistani. While each group shares some similar risks, each group also experiences these risks differently. So for example, when we look at the individual risk profiles, 78% Filipinos indicated stress as their top risk factor, followed by 75% of Asian Indians and 71% people of Pakistani origin. Yeah. Wow. So this is the kind of work we need to be able to advance to help us address uh, the various you know, health inequity issues.
0: I'll get you to piggyback off that, and How does uh, having a lack of disaggregated data for Asian Americans, how does that impact mental health outcomes?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So if I th- I think when we do clump them together and we treat it as a homogenous group, mm-hmm. um, we lose a lot of the uh, differences and unique experiences uh, in, in terms of mental health, uh, whether it be about relationships or about um, uh, emotions or whether, you know, all facets of mental health. And so... Um, when we look uh, at uh, the different subgroups within Asian American, uh, within the br- umbrella of Asian American, um, not only is, is prevalence of those mental health issues different uh, between groups, but um, the, the cultural and social pressures feel uh, there are some similarities, but also vast differences mm-hmm. between uh, between the groups um, that can contribute to this uh, the hardships and the suffering and and the factors that go into a person's uh, well-being. Um, and uh, when it, I guess when it comes to people seeking therapy um, and seeking mental health care, um, those those barriers are very different from group to group as well. And so um, taking all that into account, you know, again we look at it, if we look at it as an umbrella, right. um, we just uh, can't effectively address those barriers um, and provide competent and uh, efficient. Uh, sorry, uh, ethic. Effective. Effective. Thank you. <laughs> Effective <laughs> mental health care. To this yeah, we're,
0: we're missing the individual needs of, the, of various folks within this AAPI community. Mm-hmm. I want to bring you in, Hayin. Uh, your group, Kenwin, works with women across the Asian American communities. Uh, so talk about what, what cultural and ethnic differences um, you think are important to keep in mind when you are working with your clients.
1: Domestic violence is also the very prevalent in across the whole the genders and race, uh, and then also the uh, so and it is also the increased the rate in the Asian community, especially the after the pandemic, um, it really like increased the domestic violence the violence. Uh, steady, uh, our the hotline calls is almost uh, like thirty percent increased uh, during a pandemic, and we. Serve the older population, but our we are more uh, focused on the East Asians. Okay. Yes, because as we mentioned before, Asian Asia is the really diverse population. It's a big umbrella. Yes, and then we speak more than like two thousand languages. So. even though the, we serve the Asian um, immigrants communities, but we cannot be expertise for the entire the languages, or the, we cannot uh, cover the entire cultures. So our we are more um, focused on the certain communities. Mm-hmm. So we can develop the, our expertise and the, our strategies the, to the focus on the certain community, and then we can uh, provide uh, to the based on the, this expertise to the other. Asian communities. And you can um, branch out. Yeah, mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Um, there's a study that was published, Brandon, by the, the National Library of Medicine in 2023. And it found that the, the one-third of AAPI adults who reported um, psychological distress during the pandemic, nearly half of them also reported unmet mental health needs. Talk more about what you know, Shobna brought up earlier, that the toll that COVID-19 and the rise in anti-Asian hate had on AAPI mental health,
3: yeah, absolutely. Dealing uh, with a lot
0: of things at the same time, yeah,
3: exactly. There's so many layers, right, to uh, to what's happening right now, especially in coming off of COVID. Uh, we, we can talk about you know the isolation that that everyone felt, um, but in particular for people and cultures that are particularly interdependent and focused on friends, community, family, to have. Missed out and to uh, have been isolated from the people you care about most for uh, that period of time, um, it does contribute again to those feelings, yeah feelings um, uh, potentially that have contributed to depression or uh, social isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know yeah the study that you're, you know you're talking about um, that there there is this prevalence of mental health issues and yet also the lack of. Mental health care that either they're reaching out for, um, or that is being offered or provided, uh, which is why I really appreciate you know the work that Shobana um, and their organization is doing um, with psychoeducation and just letting people know, hey, you know, the, here's the data we're seeing, and also here are all these resources that you can that you can utilize and that you can find, um, because um, it, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to it. But um, the uh, one of the major barriers is just not knowing, right? Oh, not, for sure. Yeah, not just not being a prevalent conversation. Uh, in in our communities, yeah. in the Asian American community, um, so yeah,
0: yeah, we'll we'll we will definitely get to that, Brandon. Hey, Ian, I'm curious uh, if you saw this. There was also uh, at the same time, you know, COVID nineteen. There was also what was called the shadow pandemic happening at the same time. There's a 2021 report uh, by the National Commission on COVID nineteen and Criminal Justice, and it found that incidents of domestic violence increased. After that lockdown in 2020, remember that March 2020? Mm-hmm. Did you see that in real time?
1: Yes, yes, we uh, we experienced the uh, almost the 30 percent of the increase of the our hotline calls. Uh,
0: yeah, I remember that the early days of the pandemic. I mean, just news-wise, there was a lot of coverage of that. Is is domestic violence uh, issues just went soaring? How did you respond at the time?
1: Uh, I think the. The reason why the we experienced the in, like so much increased the uh, hotline calls during a pandemic, it is uh, two factors. Uh, so one is, as Brandon mentioned, isolation is uh, one of the biggest factor, the barriers for the Asian, especially the Asian immigrants, uh, uh, because hamsters the they are using isolation as a tactic and to. Uh, control the their survive, uh, survivors, okay, and then also the immigrant immigrant itself is isolated in in the so, uh, society.
0: Yeah,
1: lockdown is actually increased these isolations. Oh my
0: gosh, it's like triple isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So and the Hence second the thirty
0: percent increase you
1: said. Yes, and then the second reason is domestic violence is the spectrum. This is the the. Uh, The abusive relationship is a spectrum from the healthy to unhealthy and abusive relationship. If uh, the couples or the families are located in unhealthy relationship, if they have in the huge stressors, especially like a pandemic, then they can move to the abusive relationship because they have a lack of interactions or the how to healthy. I see. Yes. To copying these stresses. So these two factors is actually the increase the domestic violence situation.
0: Shobna, in, in May of 2021, the uh, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration published an article that noted how Asian Americans are quote more likely to have their mental health symptoms manifest as physical symptoms, uh, which can result in lower rates of detection, increased misdiagnosis, and lack of appropriate treatment. Any surprises to you hearing that?
2: Not at all. <laughs> not at all. Uh, because one thing that we have learned um, through our work is also, um, you know, the you already mentioned, uh, you know, all the different layers of stress, uh, all these stressors that we've already shared here about. Uh, the, the, a lot of that is also cultural, right? And then when we're talking about um, not only experiencing, uh, you know, stress because of the pandemic, also rise in anti-Asian hate, uh, which, by the way, I do want to point it out that this is not a new phenomenon. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we do talk about anti-Asian hate during the pandemic, uh, you know, it's been happening for a while, and it's just the pandemic just amplified racism and xenophobia, mm-hmm. uh, and which has led to an uptick in more bias-motivated violence that we're seeing, and especially with uh, women being targeted uh, from immigrant communities, including South Asian women, uh, we're often objectified and dehumanized, dehumanized um, to a point where we're being killed and combined forces of prejudice and violent Mm. misogyny. So when we're talking about cultural barriers, all of this misogyny and prejudice, uh, all of this also plays an important role. And we've seen that. And even Stop Api Hate um, also had a mental health report where they mentioned that Asian Americans who have experienced racism have heightened symptoms of depression, anxiety, stress, and physical symptoms. So, you know, similar to what you just mentioned. So how does
0: this create challenges for the healthcare providers then?
2: Because what happens with our immigrant communities, and we've seen that in uh, a lot of South Asian-American community members, is we are also socialized, uh, not just to keep uh, our experiences close to our own hearts and not really seek help. Uh, And when that happens, we not only socialize ourselves, we also socialize our kids. Uh, that you know, if we're experiencing something, you know, whatever the stress factors could be, whether it's target, uh, you know, being targeted um, as a result of uh, xenophobia and racism, we just don't want to talk about it. So it really makes it tricky for healthcare providers because when the community is not really actively seeking help, yeah. we have engaged a lot of healthcare providers through our uh, educational series and events that we've been hosting, uh, just to make sure that we are creating a platform for our communities and community members and healthcare providers. To be able to get in communication, to create a platform where we do feel safe, and we're you know building community where we feel like it's okay to talk about it yeah. because of the taboo, because of the stigma that's mm-hmm. attached to mental health care, and the way our communities are socialized to keep it so private. Uh, on top of all of the uh, you know layers of uh, you know cultural and linguistic uh, and structural barriers uh, for immigrant communities, uh, it's really challenging for healthcare providers, as Brandon mentioned. Uh, you know who reaches out and. What what kind of care right. are they able to even receive?
0: Yeah, Brandon, let's let's dig more into these barriers. AAPI communities—they're among the least likely to seek out mental health services in the U.S. That's a huge deal. I want you to Absolutely. sink. Let that sink in, yeah. listeners. I know you know this all too well, right? And you mentioned earlier sometimes people don't know. What else do you think is behind this? Yeah. Why are they not asking for help?
3: Yes yeah and and you know to caveat our conversation i think um just yeah keeping in mind that that it is quite a diverse group, and so I'll be referring to obviously um pieces that that may feel like an umbrella but could very well vary Yes. um but uh yeah, I think that um one big part is uh just the the history of the taboo i guess uh around mental health mental health issues um the feeling of like if there is if i do have a mental health issue there it means that there might there's something wrong with me and also that so if there's something wrong with me i might not be able to fulfill family obligation or i might not be, be able to fulfill the values that my family has um and i think there is also a, a, in particular, the immigrant experience, uh, this bicultural sense of self that can be very difficult to navigate and to know, you know, I have one side that's kind of, you know, uh, well, I'll, I'll quote it as the Western side, I guess, saying, OK, mental health. Yes. And there's, you know, there's a lot of voices for championing that. And right. then we have another side of me that says, but I'm not and sh- I'm scared to reach out or if I reach out, then it could mean, you know, X, Y and Z about about me, about my family. Um, and we are, uh, many Asian American cultures are shame, uh, honor based culture. And so uh, to think about what this could Im- implicate and what this could mean for me and my family uh, is something that uh, isn't always considered uh, when we look at other demographic groups. Um, and then there's uh, a stigma that goes kind of along with the taboo. Um, and that stigma Kind of runs two ways. Uh, I think that the, it, I would be remiss to not mention or talk about how the model minority myth has impacted uh, the accessibility um, or, or the willingness to reach out for mental health help. Um, just be, and for, I, I'm not sure if that's a, a commonly known thing. So uh, in terms of the model minority myth yes. and and how that works um, is is it's a social idea where um, you know uh, in particular Asian Americans in the American context have been kind of uh, held You're up smart, i guess smart hard working exactly all those industrious yeah. yep 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 and i and it but it does a disservice in that then you know if i look perfect or if i'm supposed to be this way then i'm not going to reach out for help because mm. to reach out for help looks like weakness Re- you know, reaching out for help it kind of disrupts that image that i you know i think that i should play the part i should play that's a very good point
0: yeah. Uh, before we take a pause, Hain, talk about the challenges that you come across in your work at Canwin. Like, is there a stigma around absolutely. talking about domestic mm-hmm. violence and, and mm-hmm. sexual assault in this community?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, this is also the very similar. It's challenges for the mental health issues, and um, the shame is one of the big uh, roles about the the people they are not talking about, the families. It is a just the family things is not for the seeking help the, for the others. Uh, and then another also I want to mention is about the confidentiality. Yeah. Because the people are from very small communities, so they um, don't want others to know about the, their um, family issues. And then also the, they are afraid to the, how the neighbors responded to them. So uh, the victim blaming is also the huge role uh, mm. for the, this domestic violence and sexual assault.
0: Wow. We'll take a pause here. We've been talking with hei Chung from CanWin, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Brandon Liu, and Shobana Verma of the South Asian American Policy and Research Institute. They're going to stick around with us and talk a bit more about how they're working to improve physical and mental health outcomes among Asian American and Pacific Islander communities in the Chicago area. That's next on Reset. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We are continuing our conversation about the mental and physical health needs of Asian American and Pacific Islander communities and the structural and cultural barriers that they face in getting the help they need. Now we'll turn to resources and solutions in the Chicago area. Still with us is our panel of experts, Hei-In Chung from Win, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Brandon Liu, and Shobana Verma of the South Asian American Policy and Research Institute. Uh, Before we we dig in here and talk some more about cultural competency, folks, i I got a question. Given what we talked about so far on the program, have any of you had to kind of unlearn certain stereotypes or assumptions that you had about AAPI communities? I'm looking at you first, Shobhana.
2: Oh, um, yes. Anything you had to unlearn yourself? I did. I did. Uh, And not just unlearn myself, but also um, take every opportunity I had to have a, a conversation. Uh, when when people around me had uh, you know any questions uh, because what happens in a room, especially what happens in the United States when we are in community with a very diverse population uh there are there's so much that's unknown. And uh, I, I felt like as an immigrant, uh, it becomes our responsibility um, to not just unlearn and prepare ourselves as we tackle these issues, but also be very mindful of the challenges of the community around us. Yeah. So um, that's definitely um, a big piece when we talk about cultural competency. So yeah. I know we touched upon cultural barriers. We talked about linguistic barriers when it comes to services and programs uh, for immigrant community members to be able to seek help. Uh, what's important Important for us to also understand is cultural competency because it's a process, yeah. uh, and uh, that's where uh, you know we need to learn how to put our biases aside. How do we unlearn some of these conversations. Issues, Have conversations. Have like conversations so that we are able to really work with the communities and meet the communities where they are. Because the whole issue is with. Treating us as a monolith, which we're not—we're very exactly. diverse. So we, are, you know, we follow different faiths. We have different sexual orientations. We have so many different ethnic backgrounds. So many different languages. So you know, there's just a the diversity of our community. Yeah. Is, we have no choice uh, but to be very mindful of the uniqueness and work accordingly.
0: Is there anything, Hien, that you had to unlearn? Any assumptions that you had about maybe other members of the AAPI community that you had to? Take that out of your your, your th- thought process.
1: It is similar to the my experience because I'm a Korean American, but I cannot be the represent Korean because even in the same communities, individuals is more diverse and more unique. So, what I learned from my um, experience is I shouldn't put the, my assumption. Or uh my knowledge is just put into the one individual just because of the this person is from having a certain nationality or the certain mm. ethnic groups or um, just because
0: I'm a Korean American, the next Korean American person might not have the same experience as me.
1: They can be the completely different they can yeah. have the completely different backgrounds, they can have the completely different values or they have a completely different cultural experiences. So Brandon is I,
0: is it hard to unlearn narratives of your own community?
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, very much because those um, it not only comes from our communities but also our families and you know those those kind of um, imprints and experiences just lay kind of a path forward and it's mm-hmm. it's really hard to take some of those bricks and shift them around and and reconsider what it could mean. Um, and additionally, you know in terms of unlearning um I, going through you know, my education, my grad school, um, there's, you know, a lot of, um, ideas about like, you know, when you encounter this issue, this is the, what you're going to use. This is what's evidence-based. Yeah. Um, and, and part of that, you know, getting into the field, I was, I had to, un, un, not, not as much as unlearn or throw out the window, but I definitely had to consider like, but is this going to work for the people that I'm serving? Is this going to work? How is this landing with, you know, the people, um, my clients and things like well, that? Well, to
0: that end, what does culturally informed care look like? In your line of work?
3: Yeah, I think culturally informed care, um, I, I would say the bigger piece is probably the cultural humility. Um, and what I mean by that is um, when you come into a situation, you know, much like Kane was talking about, you know, I have these experiences, I have these narratives and what it means to be, you know, my identities. Um, but when I encounter someone who has those shared identities, um, I need to also come in with, an, with the understanding that it is different, that my experiences are not their experiences um and so when i when i meet with clients for the first time i'm usually telling them like hey you know there are things that are going to be similar and you probably sought me out because i'm asian or or because i'm asian american um so we're going to have some similarities but i also need you to know that there's going to be a lot of differences and i'm going to have to i'm going to get really curious i'm going to ask about that and so i think that coming with that like i said that cultural humility um kind of covers <laughs> covers a lot of um, Such a cultural good point. competency. Yeah.
0: Such a good point. Uh, hey, Ina. part of co- Ken Win's mission is to provide culturally competent resources. What does that look like in, in practice?
1: In practice, uh, oh, this is uh, very similar to what just for Yeah, I saw said. you nodding
0: as as, as Brandon spoke <laughs> there.
1: Yes, cultural humility is the one of, I think, a very p- beautifully described for this culturally competent informed care. So we may know the more resources to uh, better than survivors, but survivor knows the best uh, about their situation. And so... uh, Listening. Listening, yes, exactly. Listening is the first step. And then our job is not... So all our services is uh, survivors is uh, centered uh, for all the service uh, processing. So listening and our job is to just uh, help them to make inform uh, informed decision so we are not making decision for them and we are just simply provided resources and encourage them to make uh, their own making of decisions in their paces so at that's their pace it.
0: yeah and, and and i'm glad you you said that because Shovna, it's clear because AAPI communities are made up as we said of the different ethnic groups everyone just needs different things right so how can healthcare and social service providers how can they do what haeen uh, just mentioned how can they meet people where they're at
2: i think the the you know to to respond to that, I would go back to what Brandon just mentioned, right? The humility. Uh, I think what we we've talked about cultural competency. We've talked about unlearning our own biases because of the diverse faiths and beliefs and values uh, that our c- communities have. Uh, I think what's also important and oftentimes uh, providers need to be mindful of is uh, what is the makeup of our communities. Uh, what we need to learn about, uh, you know, what. Our communities or, you know, members who we're trying to serve here uh, could be dealing with a wide range of issues that could be related to immigration. It could be related to cultural assimilation. It could be lack of access to information and resources, as we've discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there are also a lot of intergenerational conflicts and trauma uh, and uh, one thing that we actually often miss um, to recognize is um, the experiences of the undocumented community members um, amongst yes. Asian Americans. So, uh, and uh, all of this, uh, the impact it has on the youth. Uh, it, what the impact it has on the seniors, because when we do talk about these experiences and we look at conflict and we look at trauma, uh, we need to be aware of what the experiences of the youth and the uh, you know domestic violence uh, you know in terms of child and elder abuses like mm-hmm. and because our communities are so um you know, uh, they keep their um, experiences so close to their own hearts, and there is so much hesitation in addressing and acknowledging these issues that mm-hmm. healthcare providers. I think the the best chance is to be able to understand where our communities are coming from yeah. and be, um, you know, aware of you know the diversity in terms of you know and the, all the different roles that our experiences related to immigration and other cultural assimilation issues play here.
0: With that in mind, let's continue to look ahead, Brandon. What can we do to remove stigma around mental health in AAPI communities.
3: Yeah, I um, uh, forgot to mention this, Um, uh, but I also function as the um, membership coordinator for uh, a group here in Chicago called the... um, sorry, it's called CATCH. Uh, it's an acronym though. It stands for Community of Asian American Therapists in Chicagoland. Okay. Um, and so uh, the reason I mentioned that is because uh, we, we are a community of therapists trying to su- trying to support one another in the work that we do um, because more frequently, Asian American clients are reaching out to people that, that look like them because that is some more, where more of their comfort sits, I think. Um, and so uh, a part of that has been uh, partnering with organizations here in Chicago, a part of that has been um, uh, working to provide funding for people to to receive uh, therapy from from culturally competent and uh, similar identified cl- uh, clinicians. And so I think that uh, in part, we're working with these therapists uh, to try and get the word out there and mm-hmm. try to make uh, services when people are ready to reach out more accessible um, in order to uh, kind of catch them, I guess, when they take the risk yeah. <laughs> of, of, running, of going to therapy. I love that. Yeah, I
0: love that. I, I talked to you earlier, Hayin, about stigma as well, right? Around talking about domestic violence and talking about sexual assault. What do you think your role is um, as a service provider in in changing that narrative, making people more comfortable to speak openly?
1: I think uh, the key is community education. Uh, the Kenwin, we spend a lot of effort for the community outreach and the community education. To increase awareness of the domestic violence and help is there. So this is an uh, we are uh, in the grassroots effort to how to provide this community outreach. It is so we so I want to just give you the one examples how we provide this community education. Sure. So one of so Korean communities. The faith-based organization has the huge roles uh, because the this is uh, the, these churches they have a critical roles for the immigrants who are settled in, and then also that they provide uh, so through the all the the families they are connected through the, these churches. So we uh, the multilingual advocate the project we designed is that they goes to the churches and the meeting, that not only the pastors and the pastor's wife, and then also the the important roles in the congregations that we provide education and then also the, like training and how they can respond to the someone who, uh, from their congregations to come to them to the seeking help The pro- when they had a domestic violence or the sexual assault. Yeah. So, uh, this uh just a targeted one important organization in the certain communities It can be the the huge roles to the change the entire the community mm. members their the perspectives of the domestic violence I and see. how they can re- uh respond to the their the survivors uh, when they survivors can help yeah, so. that 's
0: wonderful mm-hmm. well we just about got about thirty seconds, Shovna. i mean above all else if 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 nothing else, what do you want AAPI folks listening to take away from our discussion today?
2: Talk. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest barrier um, to any uh, solution, to any any problems that, you know, that are facing us is, you know, it starts with the lack of acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 you know, it leads to lack of communication. Um, so I think uh, talking is very important. And this, you know, the platform you've created today, uh, this, I believe, will be a great resource for people, uh, you know, um, just to come back and listen to us and connect with us. Uh, what we're doing at Sapri is, with that idea, you know, focusing a lot on education and outreach. We know there is lack of data, so we're trying to collect as much data as we can. Yeah. We're focusing on advocacy and policy, so it has to be a very multifaceted, you know, approach. Yeah, so, but uh, we're it trying starts with the that. conversation. Yeah. We've got to talk. Starts, yeah.
0: We'll leave it there for now. Shobana Verma is with the South Asian American Policy and Research Institute. Brandon Liu is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and Hayin Chung is with Ken Win. Thank you all so much for your time today. Great conversation.
2: Thank you for having Here. us, Sasha.